Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Artistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their insights. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On today's episode, Ash joins me to discuss autistics that have medium and high support needs, his love of sharks, and their intersectional identities. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Ash, thanks so much for joining me here on Autism Stories. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. And I wanted to start our conversation by learning just how does your story in the autistic community begin? Well, it's kind of a long story. (laughs) So I never really fit in anywhere. There was always something that was like off with me and nobody really knew what it was. I always like missed jokes and always said the wrong thing, but I never knew I was saying the wrong thing. And I always, I was a lot more sensitive to things happening in the environment. Like in school, fire drills, I would just immediately start crying and (laughs) nobody really knew why. So I sort of went my entire life thinking that something was just wrong with me and that I was integral like broken like to the point of where it is foundational to my being I just thought I was a broken person and whenever I started therapy when I was 18 I started you know just saying all of my life experiences and all of my the way I view life and how I look at things and my therapist I remember him saying you know, that sounds a little bit like you're you're on the spectrum. And I was like, whoa, because up until that point, I had only seen, like, the stereotypical, like, autism speaks, like, this is a terrible thing for your child, you know, sort of, like, thing. And I was like, what? Like, I no, I can't be autistic. So that same day, we went through this little, like, criteria sheet of autism like symptoms or whatever and uh after we did that he was like you'll never guess what you scored really high on and I was like oh (laughs) I guess that means I need to look into that so he referred me out and the first eval didn't really go that well because I laughed at a joke And apparently to the assessor, that meant that because I understood a joke, I couldn't possibly be autistic. Um, You know, typical, typical stuff. But then the second eval happened and that was with an assessor who had ADHD herself. So she's also neurodivergent. And that one went a lot better. She listened to me and didn't (laughs) write me off for laughing at a joke and We did some uh, interviews over the course of a month. And by the time we got done with those, she said, I like, I can diagnose you now. 
but because of insurance, I have to give you these test things. So I took, I think it was like the SRS2 and something else. And lo and behold, I'm autistic. So, <laughs> and ever since then, I've been sort of trying to find a place to fit in because now I understand why I haven't fit in for so long. There's a name for it. And that's brought me to making my Instagram account. And here we are today. <laughs> From what I understand, uh, you recently went through this process of diagnosis process and all that. Are there some ways that learning you're autistic has positively impacted you up to this point? Oh my goodness, so much. First, even knowing that I was autistic was such a big thing for me because I finally was able to stop hating myself for not being able to just get with the rest of the world and being able to live up to everyone's expectations. I was finally able to stop despising myself. And that has given me so much freedom and joy. So yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. <laughs> the second part is more being able to have accommodations that I need. So for example, I'm a part-time university student. And before then, I tried to go full-time, but I ended up dropping out because I just couldn't handle it. I just couldn't keep up with all of the demands that were placed on me. So now that I have this diagnosis and I know like, oh, I can't do these things, I've been able to get, you know, extended like turn-in times and extended due dates and I have alternate formats for things like like videos for example I have really bad audio processing so I have subtitles and transcripts instead that has made things a lot less stressful and just being able to sort of tell people that like hey I'm autistic I can't do things the way a neurotypical would. That has helped me a lot in terms of everything, honestly, like even traveling, looking for, I, I can't work, I've discovered that. But when I was looking for employment, I was just, I there was, there's a lot of things that I cannot do or I have to do differently. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that, having that diagnosis and making me that diagnosis letting me understand that there's nothing wrong with that it's just something that I live with is something that I can't I cannot like think enough it's majorly helped my life in many ways I read something I think really important that you wrote and I think a lot of people um, can relate to it and it's that having generational family distrust with the medical system. How are you, um, as an adult, na navigating the medical system now? Oh, it's really difficult. So yeah, my family does not trust the medical system at all for various reasons. And growing up, it was, you know, 
I was not allowed to go to the doctors unless I was like on my deathbed. It was not like something that I could do. So trying to learn all of this and navigate all of this as an adult has been extremely difficult. I've had to have a lot of help from my partner and my father who I live with. He helps me out so, so much just like calling places and making appointments because I can't, those things really stress me out. Making appointments and figuring out like when exactly I need to go because <laughs> for example, I had MRSA earlier this year and I didn't know that I did. And I was just gonna let it just fester and fester and fester. And so my partner was like, that is MRSA, that could kill you. And I was like, oh, okay. It feels like the wild west in terms of where, what I'm doing. Mostly it's just been trial and error, realizing that like, okay, like I can go to the doctor for this, but I can't go for that. Also, I had a point, I forgot it. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, being able to go and realize what I need to is a big thing. Oh, I forgot the other point. Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> it'll come back it'll come back i just need like a minute no worries we edit these <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> take your time i remember i remember advocacy and advocating for yourself is huge and i never really knew that until i got myself into the situation of being diagnosed with autism where the first eval didn't go that well. And I really had to be like, hey, like this wasn't fair. Like you shunned me after not even two minutes because I laughed at a joke. Like that's not okay. Figuring out how to do that is very scary, <laughs> especially when it's in an industry where you sort of look up to these people and sort of trust that like they know what's right for you sort of taking that for yourself and figuring out like, hey, maybe the doctors aren't right for once. Maybe like I need to go find somebody else. That's a skill that I'm learning. And it's an important skill to have, but it's hard to develop. It's very hard to develop. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, but I'm making my way through it. I think, I hope. <laughs> Now, something that I think is so important, and I think there should be so much more of an emphasis on, is intersectionality within the autistic experience. So what are some of the identities that you're most connected with? Well, I am biracial. I'm mixed Black. My father is Black and my mother was white. That is something that I can never really escape. You can't take your skin off, so... <laughs> I am very, very connected with that and how that relates to being autistic. Realizing the differences that I went through growing up, for example, I live in a very predominantly white neighborhood and I would get punished for having meltdowns and I would get, you know, I would get disciplined and being, I was told that I was being disruptive but the white students that were going through the same thing, they were given care and understanding and they were trying to figure out how, like, what's, why are you acting this way? Even though we were acting very similarly. 
I didn't realize that as a child, but I do now. And looking back on that, it's so wrong. It's very important to me being black and autistic, not even just growing up like that, but also in the black community itself, there is a large distrust, like I mentioned earlier, towards the medical system and a large dismissal of any problems or anything instead of I'm crying because this is upsetting to me and the noises are too loud it's quit acting a fool I'm a whoop you you know things like that it's very important to me to want to change that narrative and say that like hey like no we aren't just acting a fool this is genuinely upsetting to us and we're not just you know like one of the biggest things that I got told growing up was watch your mouth because apparently I had a really like snippy tone, but I didn't realize that I had that tone. So I'm like perpetually afraid of sounding upset or rude. And it's very important to me to try to change that. Being black is a big one. Being transgender is another one. I am a transgender man. That there, there's a big overlap from what I've seen with the trans community on the autistic community. And nobody can say exactly why, but I think one of the reasons is just because I don't really care for the social weight that comes with being trans it's just like I'm happier being a guy and that's sort of the end of it I don't really care for the social mess that comes with that and I don't really get why it's such a big deal like I remember when I was young and I remember asking my mother very vividly when I was like eight years old I remember asking her why wasn't I born a boy and she freaked out she like lost her mind for a second and i i was just like why why is this such a big colossal like thing i don't understand and i can only sort of blame that on me not understanding social cues and me not really getting like that being trans wasn't like a commonly societally accepted thing and there's a whole lot of discussion online about what is the normal, like what is the default, what is cis-normativity, I guess is the word for that. Cis-normativity and people being cis is the default. So I guess that's why there's a whole like social thing. I don't, I don't really know. I don't really get it. Um, but <laughs> that's also an important thing to me yeah being trans and being black and also being autistic is a very important <laughs> subject to me and sort of on the side i don't really talk about this on my like instagram or anything but i do have a dissociative disorder i am i have a mental like system which means that there's multiple like parts in my head and there's also a big overlap between 
dissociative disorders, particularly those with systems and trauma in general, and autism. And I think that's something that needs to be talked about. I think the fact that so many autistic people have so much trauma to where it leads to things like being a system, having DID, having OSDD, I think that needs to be talked about more. I think there's no reason that autistic children should have to go through this excruciating pain to then come out with a disorder like having a system or being having DID or OSDD. I don't think that should happen. And I want to sort of acknowledge that. And being a system also does affect how my autism sort of presents, for example. Some parts are a lot more social and a lot more able to connect and talk to people and sort of seem neurotypical and others can't like like they just can't a lot of them have a lot of the societally unacceptable traits so like the really bad meltdowns for example some of the parts are in charge of that and there's an interesting overlap between DID, OSDD, and autism. So all three of those things are very important to me. Well, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I think I personally would love to see you talk about that more on your um, social media account. I'm wondering, like, you know, we've, we've only talked, met each other for like 20 minutes or so, but, you know, I pick up on people's energy and the energy from you I guess the word I would describe it is joy. And I'm wondering how your system in different parts bring that joy to you in your life. Do you see a connect, a strong connection there? Yeah. So I did not know I was a system. I did not get diagnosed. I was originally diagnosed with OSDD, but then they just recently changed it to DID. I only first got diagnosed with that. I want to say almost three years ago. It's going to be three years in January. It's still all very new to me. (laughs) Even though they've always been there, it's still a very new thing for me. So there's 10 of us, give or take a few fragments. They do bring joy to my life. And that's not to say that there aren't hard times because living with DID, OSDD is excruciating. It's very hard to exist as one whole person when there's multiple so it's very it's very hard to experience that joy but they do bring a lot of joy for example i have one part that is around like eight to twelve years old he sort of bounces in between and he's one of the sort of like really undesirable autistic traits types parts so he's very unintentionally funny whenever he doesn't like mean to like we'll just be going out for like to get food or something and he'll see something that isn't really that funny but he'll make a joke about it and it just makes us all laugh and it's just things like that are really nice to have you sort of have to make the best out of the situation because 
system discovery is very much like once you learn it, you can never unlearn it. And that can be very damaging to somebody that isn't exactly ready. But having those parts that sort of bring you joy and bring you happiness are, it's very calming and reassuring to have. I hope that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Your social uh, media username is Shark Tizzy. So I'm guessing you might have a passion for sharks. Just just a guess. (laughs) What is it about sharks that like made you so passionate, became interested in them? Well, whenever I was a child, one of my biggest special interests as a child was marine life. Particularly, I was really into dolphins back then. And sharks always scared me. I remember, I think I watched Jaws or something at way too young of an age, and it just (laughs) freaked me out. And as I was gathering everything, I have a big giant binder that I made for my autism assessment, my second one. And uh, one of the things that kept popping up on some of the things was a fear of inanimate objects. And I remember as a child, I had an irrational fear that the shark was going to pop out of a mug that I had sitting on my nightstand. I was so afraid of that. And I just, I didn't like sharks for the longest time. I thought they were really, really scary. And as I grew up, and I think this has to do with my DID, that interest sort of went away. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I was bullied so severely and I have, I've seen it called online as internal cringe. I'm afraid of being weird and I'm afraid of being cringe and I'm afraid of being the weird one. And after I got my autism diagnosis, that, that feeling sort of just disappeared. And I was like, okay, like I am the weird one. I am cringe and that's okay. And after that, the marine life interests popped back up. And I was like, whoa, like, look at the ocean. Like, this is so cool. And I remember I watched a documentary. And it was a great white doing a, I think it's called a breach, where they jump up out of the water to get, like, a fish and then come back down. And I just thought that was like the most like beautiful thing I've ever seen. I was like, this is awesome. Like I want to learn more of this. So that night in typical autism fashion, I learned everything possible. I looked up all types of things and I spent the entire night just reading to myself. And I guess what really hooked me this time was the fact that they are so misunderstood. They are so demonized and so feared because everybody thinks that they're out to kill humans and, you know, that's not the case. Even with tiger sharks that are seen to be the most aggressive to humans, they're not. They're not out to kill humans. And the fact that they're so misunderstood and so just yeah misunderstood and not people don't care to understand them that I relate to a lot personally all of my life I've really felt misunderstood and like nobody really 
got me. I guess I found a little community in sharks with that. Yeah, so sharks are sharks are awesome to me. I like a lot of different different ones. My favorite ones are probably a nurse shark, a whale shark, and also I like mako sharks. Those are really cool. Mako mako. I hear it pronounced different ways. So yeah, they're all cool to me. Kind of talking about being misunderstood as autistics, I think we're often misunderstood and, you know, it's difficult to develop community as a result. And I read uh, where you talked about feeling alienated in your search for online community. What would be some things that you hope to find in the future from others online to kind of build those meaningful connections? I think one of the things that needs to be talked about more but it isn't is inclusion of everybody and by that i mean medium support needs like me and high support needs autistics we need to include those people we need to include non-white autistics we need to include aac users we need to include non-cis autistics for example we need to include more because as of now online at least because this is the only that's the only place where i remember really to find people like me is online the conversation is just dominated by white cisgender low support needs autistics and there's nothing like wrong with them but the conversation remains to be just dominated by these people and when i go into these spaces as a medium support needs transgender non-white autistic person i often get told that i'm for example on reddit <laughs> which is my first mistake on reddit i didn't understand something and this person claimed to be that they were on the spectrum i didn't understand something so i asked and then they were like, oh, well, you should understand. Do you not see the problem with that? I'm autistic. I don't understand these things. I come across that so often. And I see a lot of things about, like, masking, which I can't do. I can't mask. I can't. I see things about masking. I can't do that. I see things about working. I also can't do that. I can't drive. I think there needs to be more conversation about that because there still is a lot of stigma towards medium support needs and high support needs autistics. There's a lot of stigma about sort of not being able to act neurotypical. There is a lot of stigma there. So I think there needs to be more talk about why that is. Why exactly do we feel the need to act neurotypical so much? And I also want people to include all of the excluded types into the conversation that needs to happen more because we do have a lot of things to say and we do experience a lot of different things that most people might not see so i think that needs to happen and i think just having patience <laughs> for similar reasons having patience helps because a lot of us 
people like me are tired and by tired i mean very socially and mentally tired because we have to deal with so much stuff every day for example i deal with a lot of just like subtle like racist microaggressions in the area that i'm in and I'm trans, I'm intersex, I have high androgens, but I'm not like on hormone replacement therapy yet. So I don't look or sound like a guy. And people are not afraid to let me know that. A lot of us, whenever we're out here trying to talk to these people, we're tired. We're tired of being treated like garbage, basically. Having that patience for us whenever we don't we don't always have to have something to say we don't always have to have something to say and i want people to have more patience about that because i feel like these people that i mentioned earlier the white cisgender low support needs sort of massive presence in my community they always seem to look towards people like me for something to say but we don't want to do that work for you we have to live with this every day we can't turn it off we can't stop so we're tired and i just want people to have more patience with us when we are tired don't just give up on us because i said i couldn't handle talking about whatever terrible world event happened this week you know so yeah just be more inclusive have a little more patience and open your mind i will say that's a big one open your mind in the autistic community there's a one of our big things is black or white thinking right so it's very much it has to be one way or it has to be the other and there is no in between and that's just not the case that's not humanity is not one way or another and that's so hard to wrap my brain around because as autistic people we always sort of jump to that conclusion of where if it's not the way i'm experiencing it then it has to be this other way and it's not that's not how it works that's not how life works i think being able to have people open their minds to the nuance that being autistic can give opening their minds to that and realizing that it is a spectrum there is a large a huge amount of experiences underneath that spectrum i think we need to acknowledge that more and realize that it isn't so polarized it isn't so one way or the other I love that answer. So, and uh, <laughs> lastly, how can our listeners learn more about or connect with you beyond this interview? So the main place that I'm on now is Instagram at Shark Tizzy. I post about being autistic and black and transgender. It's sort of a, a journey. I plan on... Um, maybe branching out to other sites but i don't know yet because social media is really confusing to me <laughs> but 
uh yeah instagram at shark tizzy that's the main place you can find me and all of my adventures and journeys and shenanigans of living this life so <laughs> well everyone follows shark tizzy on instagram and ash really it was wonderful to get to know you a bit thanks so much for joining me today yes thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it Thanks so much to Ash for the conversation. To learn more about Ash, please check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. Here at Autism Personal Coach, our clients are the experts, our coaches are the guides. The majority of supports for autistics are not helpful. They try to fix us, not support us. That's why many are confused when we say our clients are the experts. Experts of their lived experience. Our clients are the experts for what has worked for them and about the things that they need and want in their lives. Our coaches first listen to our clients and then ask thoughtful questions, offer resources, and strategize with our clients so they can get what they need to thrive. Would you want a guide in your life to coach you to get you the things you desire? If so, then visit AutismPersonalCoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it, so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, would be very much appreciated. Till next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.